Now the question is, what happens next? With this AI comes more opportunity. In fact, if you look at the data that's coming up, this is probably going to be the most profound shift as a percentage impact on GDP of technology. We may have seven to 10 trillion more of GDP growth driven by this next generation of AI technology. Hi, and welcome to GeekWire. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. And I'm GeekWire co-founder John Cook. That clip in the intro was Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella speaking this week at the company's partner conference about the economic implications of the new era of artificial intelligence. And we'll be talking more about that topic on this week's episode. Plus, later on, a reported effort by Google to use AI to help journalists write news stories, which is a subject near and dear to our hearts. But first, John, I want to get your take on my big thesis about Microsoft right now. Hit me. I think that this is going to be the most important year in Microsoft's entire history, dating back to the mid-1970s. And I think this past week might have been the most important week in that most important year. Microsoft was finally able to apparently clear the most difficult hurdles in its attempt to acquire Activision Blizzard, the maker of Call of Duty, in what will be the biggest acquisition in video game history. And then they reached what I think is a watershed moment in their partnership with OpenAI, which is another reason that I think this is going to be looked back upon as the most important year in Microsoft history. Microsoft announced the pricing for Microsoft 365 Copilot, their AI integrations into work. It's going to be $30 per user per month, which I realize probably doesn't mean a lot to people who aren't looking closely at their IT bills, but it's a significant amount of money. And it really set the standard, I think, for the kinds of financial payoffs that Microsoft is going to be looking for from AI. And Microsoft shares soared and closed earlier this week at a new record. I think this is going to be looked back upon, as I said, as the most important year in Microsoft history. But John, there are some big storm clouds out there as well. But first off, what do you think? Pick my thesis apart there. Well, that's a pretty bold statement, given also your history of covering this company for for decades. So, um, wow, I think they've been through some big ups and downs over the years. So it's hard, hard to say that, but I think you might be on to something here. I guess we'll find out a little bit more on their earnings next week, you know, and see, see how they're doing. I think they come out on Tuesday. So, so there's that to watch. There was also a report coming out that said, and I think Microsoft's stock market value is now at 2.5 trillion. And there was a report saying that it could be 3 trillion by next year. And so, wow. I mean, the company is certainly on the rise. AI is definitely uh, driving a lot of that. It is. And I think this is going to be a test of whether AI is actually going to be something that's going to drive economic value for these companies in the short term. I just alluded to those storm clouds. From what I'm hearing inside the company, from veterans of the company that I talk with, and also, of course, from some reports out there by others, including Insider, the business and technology news site, there is a real issue with morale inside Microsoft, and 
as with much of the rest of the tech industry right now, you've got these dual stories. And I think Microsoft embodies this perfectly, this big promise of something like artificial intelligence and this whole notion that you've got this entirely new era, Greenfield, for these companies to go out and invent new things, create new markets, and build value, not only for their users, but for themselves. At the same time, you've got what you've talked about in the past, John, as this shift and this battle between these big tech companies and their workers who were empowered during the pandemic and now are faced with these cutbacks. And just in the past couple of weeks, you've had ongoing layoffs at Microsoft on a relatively small scale. But I think the real risk for Satya Nadella and Microsoft in all of this is making sure that their workers are on board with this bright future, as Microsoft would cast it, that this technology is apparently leading the industry into, potentially. And so I think you've got these dual stories and these big risks playing out at the same time. My big picture takeaway, John, for people like us is, I think this is one of the most fascinating times to be covering this industry over the past four, five, six decades, frankly, uh, back to the origins of personal computers and information technology as we know it today. I just think this is just an amazing time to be focusing on this particular aspect of news. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Satya Nadella has been well rewarded for his run at Microsoft, which also might be creating some tension with those employees that either have lost their jobs or maybe have lost some power in the last year or two. I don't know if you saw the fortune story that was out this week that the stock has risen a thousand percent since Satya Nadella became C CEO in 2014. And Bloomberg put his compensation during that period at over a billion or around a billion dollars. So, I mean, you have a, you have a, a person who's netted a billion dollars in compensation at the same time. Some of the workers feel as if they have not been able to keep their compensation or they're going through layoffs, which it, it just strikes me at how quickly this has changed. I mean, going back to the run-up during COVID when a lot of these tech stocks were doing really well, tech companies just were capitalizing on this switch to digital. And then almost overnight, it stopped. And then and then the tech sector was imploding, it seemed, and stocks were cratering, venture capital was freezing up, startups were starting to struggle. And now all of a sudden we have this, again, kind of sudden rise really on the back of AI that's also really just happened in the last couple of months. And it just seems really all over the map in terms of, I mean, where what is the tech sector? Where Where is it headed? Is it going into the dumps, as people thought maybe 12 months ago, or is it on the rise on the back of AI that it is going to be this transformative, um, you know, industry change? Um, but it's, it's hard. I think maybe that's part of the interest and excitement as a journalist covering this right now is that it is really hard to know what the heck's going on. <laughs> and so that makes for usually pretty interesting stories. Definitely. John, calling out that compensation disparity, I think is very important. And if you look at what Microsoft has done over the past year, salaries and wages have essentially been frozen for most of their employees. And that kind of environment 
I think creates a lot of tension <laughs> to say the least in the organization. And I think that's one of the biggest risks. That is something that I haven't been tracking that closely, but in the folks that you're talking to, have you picked up on that, maybe not anger, but uh, disappointment or the, the just the change in, in compensation for the maybe the rank and file folks versus what's happening in the stock market or the executive comp? Have you seen that play out? Yes. And again, it's this whiplash because I think it was less than two years ago that you had Microsoft and Amazon and others boosting salaries and trying to keep up with inflation and also attempting to make sure that they were retaining their top employees. And here you have compensation then being frozen. And where I hear it most, John, is in talking with people who've recently left the company or who've left the company in the past few years, in part because they were disillusioned over this type of thing. And I think that's where it really plays out. I think one thing that's interesting about Microsoft right now, especially if you compare it to other companies, their executive suite is relatively stable, not entirely, but if you look at the core group, Satya Nadella, Amy Hood, the chief financial officer, Brad Smith, the president and vice chair, Phil Spencer, who heads up the Xbox business and is instrumental in this big acquisition of Activision, they're relatively static over the years. So Satya Nadella has got this group, even Kathleen Hogan, the human resources chief. And so that's really a benefit on one hand, but at the same time, you're not seeing this injection of new thinking and perhaps challenging of the status quo that you might get with others. And I'm not implying or trying to suggest that the entire executive suite has stayed the same. Some of Microsoft's named executive officers have changed. One example is Chris Young, the business development leader who came in over the past couple of years. But in terms of that core group, that has really been the same. And I think there are pluses and minuses to that. I just think it's a fascinating time to be watching this company and this company's place in the broader industry. Yeah, well, you contrast that with Amazon, which has had a lot of turnover in the executive ranks, including CEO. Yep. So I think that is a, a big contrast. Usually that would create, I would think, more stability and more confidence in uh, workers at the organization. But it sounds like you're hearing some um, rumblings of maybe people aren't as happy at Microsoft as they as they used to be. Yeah, a little bit of discontent. And in this era when everybody's pointing to the big promise of this new technology, I think that's probably Microsoft's biggest challenge to address right now. Well, well the technology itself is a threat to workers yep. too, especially software developers where you're seeing software roles being replaced in some regards by AI. So there's a, there's a threat to traditional software developers, which is a gigantic chunk of who Microsoft employs. Now that gets to a much bigger question, which is actually going to be the subject of our second segment. So let's take a break and we'll jump into that. When we come back, you're listening to GeekWire and we'll be right back. Technology moves fast. I need to move faster. WGU's competency-based education puts me in control of how fast I move through my IT degree program. I can accelerate my program by applying what I already know to my courses and focusing on the things I need to learn. Earn a respected accredited degree that propels your career in the IT field. Learn more at wgu.edu backslash IT certs included.
Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop with John Cook. We're talking about really the future of everything this week. Artificial intelligence, Microsoft, Google, Amazon. Just this week, John, Microsoft, Amazon, and others made a voluntary series of commitments with the White House to develop AI responsibly and manage the risks posed by artificial intelligence. They pledged to make sure that products are secure and safe, watermarking technologies. So clearly, you're seeing this tempering of the optimism and the enthusiasm about AI with these concerns and this attempt to address the concerns. And there was one story in particular that caught my attention in part because it's something I've been thinking about a lot as it relates to our own profession. And that was a New York Times report that Google is going to be testing an AI tool that writes news articles. What did you think of this, John? I did see it. I mean, this has been going on for uh, some time, so it's not completely new. I think it's maybe new that Google's getting into the business and pitching this concept to larger publishers. Todd, I think we feel the same way on this as it relates to journalism, that we see AI as a tool to assist in the reporting and covering and writing of stories. Uh, not the end all be all that it's a replacement. Uh, but I've kind of, I've seen it as very much as, as a, as using a calculator to calculate, uh, earnings or to use a, you know, the analogy I've heard actually at, at Microsoft is, uh, would you want to use a, a power saw or a traditional saw when you're building your house? And I, I think there is some truth to that. You do need to be on top of it. Watch for the pitfalls with any new technology. There are benefits and negatives, but it seems to me the AI revolution is coming and coming fast and you either embrace it and learn from it and master it and use it as a tool as best you can, or you get steamrolled by it. And so that's kind of my feeling. I don't have a problem with Google experimenting with this. I mean, the, the interesting thing with Google pitching these news publishers about this tool is at the same time that Google is pitching this, many news publishers want Google and others to pay publishers, content creators, for sucking in all of the content to, to make these tools. You know, so it's kind of this perfect circle in some regards. You know, the content creators create the content, the tech companies suck in the content, ingest it, put it into the AI engines, and then produce a more powerful product that then potentially replaces the news publishing uh, cycle. So there does seem to be, in my mind, there there, there seems to be a, a, a pretty big copyright issue here in terms of whether these tech companies can just ad nauseum, suck in whatever content they want and then use it to create their own product. Uh, I think that's going to get solved. And I'm kind of hopeful that it's obviously is resolved in the favor of, of content creators so that they can protect their work and that some of the money flows back to a New York Times or Wall Street Journal or a GeekWire for creating the content in the original place. On that topic of copyright, John, there was a story over the 4th of July that actually might have gotten lost in the shuffle of the holiday for a lot of people. OpenAI decided to pull down the feature of ChatGPT that uses Microsoft Bing as a real-time search. So usually ChatGPT 
is working off of a database of information, a large language model that was frozen some time ago. But there was this feature that came out where it, for a premium, was allowing folks to use Microsoft Bing to make the results more reflective of the current web. And what was happening was people were putting URLs in there of content that was behind a paywall and saying, tell me about this story and effectively doing a workaround around the paywall. So somewhat tangential, but also <laughs> really interesting in that you've got this loophole. I've actually found something similar with a speech tool that I use. Almost inadvertently, I discovered this. If a story is behind a paywall, it will still save it for me and read aloud the text, even if it's behind a content barrier. But that's a whole other story. On this larger issue of content and the artificial intelligence creating news stories, to me, there is some kind of potential middle ground here where the AI is working off of the journalist's source material. The AI is using background material that the journalist provides, perhaps informing itself from the reporter's past work, and maybe even working off of an outline that the reporter gives it. And somewhere in there, whether it's, I don't know, a third of the work is done by the AI, the real grunt work, or half the work is done by the AI, I think there's potentially a real benefit to your point of using the calculator. You know, we're not scribbling equations out on graph paper anymore. We're using spreadsheets and powerful tools to calculate things. In much the same way, I think for reporting and for other professions, I think we're going to find a balance between human creativity and machine automation. And for me, perhaps because it's our profession, but also because I think it's one of the most interesting case studies, this Google test is going to be really interesting to watch. And I think it could be the kind of situation that creates the standards, at least, that others learn from and potentially follow or adapt. And uh, I'm excited to see where it goes. It's changing rapidly, and it's not just journalism. Have you been following the story of this tool called uh, Showrunner and what they're doing with uh, South Park episodes? No, I've missed this. Yeah, so there's a new generative AI tool and it will essentially create brief South Park style episodes, um, which is pretty <laughs> funny. Um, yeah, the company's called Fable Studio and their product is Showrunner AI. And they're saying they're just using this kind of to showcase their technology. Um, and it does not have the support of the South Park creators. But you can see a little bit about what it can do, and it's pretty uh, creative and interesting stuff. But And this then ties into another big news story that's going in as it relates to the uh, the strikes going on in Hollywood right. with, with the writers and actors. I mean, this this is all connected to that. They're content creators in their own in their own way, and they are absolutely fighting over this as one of the as one of the issues in front of them. So it, it's just interesting how quickly this has also occurred because these tools have been around for for a while. I think maybe with ChatGBT coming on the scene in a big way, maybe that changed the game. But it's just fascinating to see how this is all playing out so quickly. There was an excellent episode of South Park in the most recent season that 
focused on chat GPT and how the characters were using it to communicate via text with their girlfriends. And I won't ruin the ending, but it was ended. It, the story was concluded in the most brilliant way possible. And I highly recommend it if you have access to the most recent season of South Park, look up the chat GPT episode. Kind of a case here then of tech imitating art, art imitating tech, <laughs> leveraging tech. I don't know. It's just, it's really, really interesting to see. It's an amazing time to be alive and watching this stuff. We'll be right back after this break. This GeekWire podcast is sponsored in part by Yale University Press. Are you concerned about the rise of AI and how it will impact our society? Every day, artificial intelligence presents us with urgent ethical challenges. How do we harness this extraordinary technology to empower rather than oppress? Nigel Shadbolt and Roger Hampson have written a how-to for building ethical machine intelligence. Their new book, As If Human, Ethics and Artificial Intelligence, is now available wherever books are sold. How do you think it's going to play out in the journalism field? Well, here's the issue with journalism. The profession, in my view, has already been completely undermined and had the life sucked out of it by forces other than AI and the economic realities of Google and Craigslist before it, I think, created another situation that makes this an interesting case study because you can't go in there and say that AI has ruined the profession. Because it was already ruined. Maybe ruins too hard of a word, too harsh of a word, but it was already decimated. Exactly. Yeah. And so here you have a situation where AI, frankly, is in a much better position to do more good than harm because most of the harm's already been done. And those jobs have already been taken away in many newsrooms. And if you can use AI to get more of the grunt work done and free up the remaining journalists to do high quality analysis, investigation, meaningful journalism, I think that it could be a case study in AI doing good. I hope so, Todd. I just spent some time back in my home state of Ohio where my dad still gets the local newspaper. And oh my gosh, it is embarrassing. Mm. It is embarrassing, the the level of journalism and what's going on in the local paper. It's just not worth reading. I mean, I don't know why anyone would, would subscribe to that product. And it does seem like there's an opportunity in some of these smaller local communities that it could the paper could have a real impact where these communities are tied together but boy it there's just a lack of true reporting and journalism going on that you're reading this paper as something that is providing very very little value to what's going on in the community so that's that's the i think to your point many years of, and decades of just cutting back to the point that there really aren't even journalists at some of these newspapers anymore. So so there aren't even the journalists to incorporate the AI tool to do the work to create the good journalism. It's, it's mainly wires or just nothing of consequence going through some of these newspapers. So I think I think you're right. There's an opportunity with AI to create more compelling journalism but at the end of the day, you still need people there that can identify the story, put the notes into the system, 
figure out what angles. And in my experience, like looking across the landscape, that's been so severely decimated in the last 15, 20, 25 years that there aren't even really people that can make those choices to do that level of work. So maybe AI, I, I don't see AI creating a new wave of reporters and journalists. No. And so, and it seems like if you look at the number of layoffs in the sector over the last few decades, it's it's pretty extreme. So you're starting from a pretty low point. I think that was your point as well. Yeah. I don't know why, but I'm more optimistic than you are about the potential, at least in isolated situations. I agree with you that if you look sector-wide across the media industry, there's lots of reasons to be pessimistic, but um, I think there's even an opportunity for individuals to do things, smart things with AI that can serve a community in ways that groups of people working in newsrooms in the past might not have been able to do. So I think we're still in the middle of this, and I think it's going to be one of those cases where in two, three years, maybe five years, it's just going to be radically transformed in some way that we have no idea right now. That we can guarantee. <laughs> All right, John. Hey, thanks for jumping on. This has been a fun conversation. Good to catch up with you. I know you've had some adventures in your recent travels. Do you want to talk about that? No, I will tease <laughs> it because I'm working on a story related to uh, the use of technology in the wilderness and where it can really, really, really backfire on you. Uh, so that's my tease. I'm still hoping to get some additional information so I can report this uh, story out. Okay. And I'll tell you what, when you're able to get that onto the site, either simultaneously or shortly thereafter, we should talk about it on the podcast. Oh yeah. No, it's a great story. And it's just, I need to report it out a little bit more. Yes. Okay. Good tease. Yes. It's a story that AI couldn't replicate. <laughs> you never know. You never know. I don't think so. It'd be a very creative prompt that would come up with this particular story. All right, that's enough teasing. Yeah, exactly. All right, hey, thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you're having a good summer. Be sure to check geekwire.com and the show notes on this episode for links to all the stories that we talked about. Until next time, I'm Todd Bishop. And I'm John Cook. Thanks for listening to the GeekWire podcast. <laughs>